0: Revelation chapter 1, we're at verse 4, I'll read down. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent, and he signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw." Here's the blessing. Blessed is he that readeth, that's me, and they that hear, you guys, the words of this prophecy, and notice, and keep, guard, treasure those things which are written therein. Here's the reason. For the time is at hand. Sure seems like that, doesn't it? The time is at hand. And then in verse 4, we pick up this morning, John, you know, he's going to write now to the seven churches. John, that's all he's got to say. He's the last eyewitness alive. The other apostles are all gone. You know, in his uh, the epistles for a second, all he had to do is say the elder. Nobody wondered who's the elder. There's only 90 year old guy they know. You know, everybody else died by 50. He's the last living eyewitness. He's the last of the apostles. He's the elder. Nobody asks who you talk about. And then all he's got to do here is say John. And the whole church knows who he's talking about. There's no, what John? Oh, that John? How do you know? You know, uh, there was no doubt at all. And he's writing to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now look, in his day, and John is put on Patmos. He had been the elder in the church at Ephesus. For almost 30 years, and he'll go back and die there after the revelation comes to him on the island. But he writes to the seven churches there in Asia, the historical churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And there were seven historic churches that existed in his day. He probably did a lot of ministry to those churches. And they're kind of it forms kind of a, a semicircle, a crescent, uh, the way they're laid out, about 50 miles apart, each of them. And John is, says that this is to them, John unto the seven churches. Um, why seven? You know, we're, we're going to go through this book of revelation there's the seven churches the seven spirits the seven lampstands the seven stars uh, uh, you know the seven uh, seals the seven horns seven eyes seven angels seven trumpets I, I could go on seven of everything so seven points to a fullness you know and i think we have what we have in the letters of these seven churches and we'll get to those if the lord desires is probably all the problems that any church in any history would have to deal with and would have to face. Paul wrote to seven churches, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossia, the church at Philippi, and the church at Thessalonica. He wrote to seven churches. These seven historic churches are also churches the churches today are to listen to these things because each one ends by saying he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith is presently saying to the churches so what he says is even the churches through the ages are to listen because the spirit is still saying what he was saying then more than that out of the seven churches, four of them have a promise of Christ's return. So we know those churches exist today. More than that, you as an individual. Let he who has an ear, that's singular, he has an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The church doesn't have a big ear on the roof. Only the believers have ears. You have Ears, Do you have ears to hear what he says to us in each of these churches and through this book? Yes, it's for a historic church. It is for the literal church. It is for the church today. It is for us as individual believers. And I believe, and I'm not, you know, don't want to be dogmatic about it. I also believe it kind of gives us a picture of church history. Not everybody believes that, but the only way that it could reflect church history, happens to be in the very order these churches are in. It wouldn't work any other way. So we'll see that as we move into the individual churches. But the letter here is to the seven churches which are in Asia. Look, the seven ecclesias, the called out ones. And that's important because there are those around today who say... Well, church isn't important. Church is, you know, needful for baby Christians. But once you become mature, you don't need the church. Then home fellowships are enough. You don't need to go to the big meeting. The home fellowship meetings are more important. You need to do this. Look, people I read and appreciated, Gene Edwards is one of the guys who's saying you don't need the church. If you're a mature Christian, you don't have to go to church. You you can meet in homes. You don't need that. Look. The church is the ecclesia. We're called out from the world to be together. All men will know that we're disciples by the love we have one for another. There's a demonstration of that in a room this side with all of the different folks that are here. Paul tells Timothy that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth in a community, as we should be and should be other churches across the city as well. The writer to Hebrews says that we are to stir one another up to faith and to good works, not neglecting the gathering together of ourselves, as is the manner of some, and especially as we see the day drawing near. So I'm sure you see that, right? The idea is there is health. You know, Jesus himself is the head of the body. He's part of the body. Every joint and every ligament supplies. And what he's called us to is to be part of a family of believers, wherever we are. The church is around the world today, in all different forms but meeting. And that's necessary. Don't anybody tell you that you're immature if you go to church. If they tell you that, you can just go, whack, you're right, I shouldn't act like that. But, you know, don't anybody tell you that, okay? church is necessary it's part of our lives it's part of what god planned for us he writes to the seven churches that are in asia and he says grace be unto you and peace you know you, you look at that and paul put grace and peace in his letters and so forth but you think you know the, the, you know there are three froms it's going to come from the father from the spirit from the son but more than that these are days. Nero's already dead and gone. Where, where millions of Christians have been killed, burned at the stake. One historian said there were 60 miles of crucifixes outside of Rome. Domitian is more cruel than Nero. Christians are being burned at the stake, thrown to lions in the arena, slaughtered by gladiators. You know, ho- however difficult we think we have it, and, and there's things that are heartbreaking. You now the COVID thing. You know, the the turmoil in our nation, any of us that have lost loved ones or were taking heat, you know, look, whatever lion is chewing on you, whatever arena you feel like you've been cast into, right? Um, whatever difficulty you're facing, what he's saying here, even to the church in Iran or China, even the church where they may be put to death for their faith, He says, grace and peace. This book from chapter 6 to 19 is filled with so much carnage and so much judgment. And yet it even comes in phases. You know, the the seals and the trumpets a third. And God is still trying to be patient. And men or women are shaking their fist at heaven and cursing him because they know where the judgments are coming from. Instead of turning, instead of repenting. So when he starts all of this, he makes sure, and he says, this is to the seven churches, including us. And he says, what this is about here, no doubt, is grace unto you, be unto you, and peace. Grace, unmerited favor, it's lavished upon us, peace available to us? Are we willing to abide in him, you know, not be anxious for tomorrow? Look, he says who this grace and peace are from. Number one, from him, which is, which was, which is to come. That's the first benefactor, the first one giving grace and peace, the one who is, who was, and is to come. It's interesting, um, the Greek says... The one who is and was not is to come, it says the one being, the one was, it's the being, the was, the coming. There's an article be, before each of them. The is is present. It's a present tense. He is right now. Jehovah God is. He is. Then it's the was, which is an imperfect tense, which is he was and still is today. And then the coming. He's on his way. He's coming. We're going to look all through this book. It's going to tell us that Jesus Christ is coming. Isn't that wonderful news? So he, he says, first of all, the greeting is to the church from the one who is and was and is to come. Barnhouse in his commentary says very interesting. In this is in the Hebrew, it repre- represents the one who is Yah, the one who was Ho, the one who is to come Va. And Barnhouse says it's the only time in the New Testament we have Yahovah. And the wonderful thing about that for you and I is He's the one who is, the, the one who was, the one who is to come. He's the one who is, and he knows what I is. He's still saying grace and peace to you, Joe. You know, he knows what I is. He's the one who was, and he knows what I was. He knows what I was. Grace and peace, Joe. The world's blown apart around you, but there's a resource that I have for you. The one who's coming. He knows what I'm going to be, knows what I am, knows what I was, knows what I'm going to be. And it's grace and peace. I love Spurgeon, you know, he always says, I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. And I ain't what I'm going to be, you know, uh, that's Yahovah here, you know. So the first greeting, and it's the measuring out of grace and peace to us, comes the one you can't, God, you know, it's like God didn't pick you and say, oh man, that's a lemon. That year, 1950. You know, you know. No, because because he's in all three of those places, presently existing. So we can't surprise him. We can surprise ourselves if we do something stupid. Can't believe I did that. And God's saying, Really? I've always known that. You know, you know. And and he's measuring grace and peace to the church before he describes the carnage that's going to be in the world. So from the one who is and was and is to come. Then he says, from the seven spirits that are before his throne, which is difficult, you know. Um, Some try to say these are seven angels because of chapter 7. No, because this is the Trinity. This is the Father, the Spirit, and the Son bequeathing grace and peace. No angel has the prerogative to do that. That doesn't fit here at all. The seven spirits, you know. Some want to go to Isaiah chapter 11, you know, the, the... the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and might, power, and so forth. But there's three couplets there. There's actually six. One of the Old Testament reflections on this, and look, as we go through this book of Revelation, 404 verses, 278 are from the Old Testament, 550 direct references, 478 with parts, from the Old Testament, there's 17 references to Exodus, 22 references to Jeremiah, 43 references to Psalms, 43 references to Ezekiel, 79 references to Isaiah, 15 references to Zechariah, um, 53 to Daniel. You, you get the idea. So the seven spirits, when we look into um, Zechariah, it does tell us there it says, and the, the where am I at here, verse 4, um, it says, chapter 4, He said unto me, verse 2, What seest thou? To Zechariah. And I said, I have looked, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps therein, and the seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. So he sees this lampstand, seven lamps And then verse 10, he's then told, who hath despised the day of small beginnings? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet and the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the earth. Those seven, the eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout the earth. As we get to chapter 3 here, verse 1, it tells us this. The angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, as we get to chapter 4, if you look at verse 5 there, um, it says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Over in chapter 5, verse 6, it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and of the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. So the, 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 the idea there is fullness, seven, The Holy Spirit, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. The Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, working everywhere in the world. Jesus said when the Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. So certainly there is grace and peace extended to us from Jehovah, from God the Father. There is grace and peace extended to us then from the Spirit who sees everything and knows everything. And how wonderful that we should ask regularly in these days for a fresh filling of the Spirit. And then thirdly, he says this. He says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. So the the Trinity presented to us here. the, The blessing also comes from Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is, Jesus Christ is not mentioned again until chapter 22. The last verse of Revelation says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So you have Jesus Christ mentioned here. You don't have that name mentioned again until the last verse in Revelation. So it's in the greeting, grace and peace from Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, who is the faithful witness. Faithful means genuine, dependable. Jesus Christ is, he's genuine. You know, you're listening to all this reporting about COVID. Who the heck do you believe? You listen to all the stuff in politics. Who the heck do you believe? Here's somebody we can believe. He's genuine, he's dependable. Our Messiah, Jesus Christ faithful witness now the words martyr now you know he certainly laid down his life for us going to say that it didn't have that meaning initially it was a witness Uh, it takes on the meaning of martyrdom as the church very early starts to suffer in that sense but he says he is the genuine witness you want to understand what the messiah is And he is the first begotten of the dead, the prototokos. We have prototype, prototokos. He's the first in preeminence who comes out from among the dead. Wait, huge promise there for us. He's the first. That means we come after. He's the first. Walked in a human frame, walked among us, died a physical death on the cross, and the third day he rose again. And he is the prototokos of those who are risen from the dead. And that is our destiny and our future. He's the first. I'm in line somewhere. I don't need to be first. I'm just glad to be in line. I can't even believe they let me in the line. But I'm in the line. He's the first begotten of the dead. And he is the prince of the kings of the earth. The archon. Um, Michael is the archon. Angel. There's always a definite article before the word "arch." The archangel. There's only one archangel in the Bible. Only Michael's an archangel. Gabriel's not an archangel. Nobody else is. A, is Bruce is not an archangel. It's just Michael, the archangel. Here he is, the arch, the archon, the ruler, the first over the kings of the earth we're going to hear him he's called so plainly the king of kings and the lord of lords I think what what this third blessing comes from the one who is the genuine witness he rose from the dead he is now the king of kings and he looks at us and says grace and peace remarkable grace and peace He promises to us. And then there's a doxology. John now says now unto Him what do you mean unto Him? We just heard about three of them. You know, unto Him singular, we just heard about the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, unto him that loved us, King James, your, yours might say loves us because some, a number of the manuscripts are in the present tense there. He's the one who's loving us. For those of you who torture yourself, the, the, the loved us is a is an heiress aor- active, which means He loved us and still does. He loved us once and for all, and that is still happening today. The one who loved us and washed us from our sins. Some of the manuscripts say washed, some of them say loosed. Your translation might say he loosed us from our sins. Um, Both of them happen at the same time. You ain't loosed unless you're washed. And you ain't washed unless it really produces being loosed. So how wonderful from this one who washed us. Take note of the us there, please. That's going to be important in chapter five. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, in his own blood, and hath made us. Kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. You know, you, you, when we get to ch- chapter 5, they're singing the song around the throne of the Lamb. And the King James says, you know, you know the, all the praises go to him who hath washed us with his own blood from our sins and made us to be kings and priests. And then all of the, the scholars say, well, the best manuscripts say men. He's washed men. And it's not because if it, if it's washed us, you have the church in heaven before the tribulation begins singing about his redemptive work. And the smarty pants that say, well, the best manuscripts, that's a bunch of junk. It's they're like the same people telling us about covid. What the heck do you believe? No, no. The best manuscripts say us. They don't say, you know, well, we'll get there. I, I'll go off on that for a while. It bugs me to no end. But here it's written out plainly, and every manuscript in existence agrees that here he says, Now unto him who loved us and washed us of our sins in his own blood, and he's made us a kingdom of priests, kings and priests, unto God his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We've become kings and priests. Remarkable that he tells us that as we look at it. He's got to say amen when he's done, and he says, we're kings and priests forever and ever unto the ions of ions, the ages. Uh, uh, The the phrase is not known in classical Greek. It's invented in the New Testament. It's 14 times in the book of, of Revelation. That He saved us unto the ages of ages. That that's what's happened to us, and 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 because He's done that, we want Him to have dominion, don't we? It says that here. It says He's made a king and priest unto God His Father. To Him be glory. I'm good with that, aren't you? Jesus gets all the glory. I'm I'm good with that. You know, we get there, and, and it's going to tell us in, in chapter five. That when the cherubim say this, everybody falls down and throws their crowns and says, you know, glory unto him. I got no problem with that. I should have a crown in the first place. You can't beat this, this this deal, you know. He comes, dies in your place, rises from the dead, pronounces you righteous, gives you a crown you could never deserve, and then you get to throw at his feet. I mean, the, the, the rewards... Salvation is not a reward, it's a free gift. But it says, as we serve him, crowns of life, crowns of righteousness, crowns of joy. You know, you want to serve Christ. Again, we'll talk about when we get there. You want, you want to have a crown to throw at his feet. You don't want to have those little beanie hats with a propeller on and <laughs> have to say to somebody forever, let me your crown, let me your crown just one time. No, man. We should serve him. He's our Lord. He should get the glory. And I love this. He has dominion. It's all under him. From the ages unto the ages. And John can't help himself. Amen, he says. You know, at 95 he was closer to seeing all that than some of us are. Amen. Now he says this in verse, in verse 7. Look. Behold, he cometh. Behold, he He cometh. Behold, 30 times, by the way, in the book of Revelation, this phrase, behold, it means set your mind on this. Let this kind of consume your thoughts. Focus on this. Because today, what consumes our thoughts? COVID, money, war, riots, fire, politics. Think of all the things we let consume our thoughts. He says, let this consume your thoughts. Behold, now cometh, when you see the ETH, King James, it tells you the tense is present tense. And it literally says, behold, he's coming. You want to set your mind on something? Get it off COVID. This is what you need to think about. He's coming. You know, you get your mind on, on the trouble in the world and war, that stuff's coming. But he's coming. You know, you'll you wonder who's lying to you, telling you that it doesn't matter. He's a dependable witness. He's telling us the truth. And what he says is, set your mind on this. I'm coming. Amen. I'm coming. You know, the answers to the world's problems are here. They're not, it's not Biden, it's not Trump, it's not Putin, it's not Netanyahu. You know, the answers to the world's problems are Jesus Christ, and he's coming. He says, behold that. Put your mind on this and think about that. That's a feast for brain cells. Let your dendrites, you know, pig out there for a while. Behold, he cometh, he says, with the clouds, many places through the Bible, no doubt referring to Daniel chapter 7, you can read through on your own. And then it says certain things here. Notice, every eye... Shall see him. That's the theme of the book, in a way. Because it's the unveiling of Jesus, Apocalypse, Revelation, the the unveiling. Every eye shall see him. The also, the inference here, and the reason the also is in there, you see it's in italics because the way the Greek is, it changes to another group. They also who pierced him. Now, John, when he wrote his gospel, was aware of this. In John chapter 19, verse 37, he said, And again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. That's from Zechariah chapter 12. But in Zechariah, it's the Lord of hosts himself speaking. So there, he doesn't say, They shall look upon him. There it says, It shall come to pass, in that day I will seek to destroy all of the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem... The spirit of grace and supplication. Remember, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, wept over the temple. He he said, Woe unto you, your house is left unto you desolate. Henceforth you will see me no more until you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It says here, he's going to pour out the spirit of grace and supplication on Israel. And it says, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Zechariah 12.10, great for your Jewish friends. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. When did Israel ever pierce the Lord of hosts? When did Israel ever pierce the Lord of hosts? They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Revelation, you know, he, he says that to us here. Also those who pierced him, he says not the church you and I it's not every eye shall see him he's coming in an hour we think not in the twinkling of an eye like a thief in the night we're not standing around oh, there he is there he is that's not happening with you and I we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air it says every eye will see him those also that pierced him and then look what it says it says all of the kindreds of the earth shall wail. Well Because of him, all the kindreds of the earth shall beat their breasts and weep, the Greek says, because of what they see, he's coming. That's not the church. We're told, you know, Christ is coming for us. Wherefore, Paul says, comfort one another with these words. It's called our blessed hope, not our scary hope. Jesus is coming for us. It's consolation, it's comfort, because the world is so insane. But for all the Christ rejectors, when all the the darkness comes and the only thing, sun goes out, moon goes out, stars go out, the only thing you can see is the Lord of lords and the King of kings coming through the heavens in power and great glory. It says, every eye shall see him, also those who pierced him. Zechariah says, they'll mourn, the Jewish people will realize who their Messiah had been and how they had turned against him. And all the tribes of the earth, all of the different nationalities, will mourn, wail because of him. That's not us. It's going to happen. We don't want it to happen to anybody we know. We don't want to see anybody we know and love left behind wailing at his coming, facing this time. It's so important for you and I to be light and salt now, to share the love of Christ with the lost world. I saw this kid from Antifa. On the news. I don't know how old he is. They, they call him a kid. Caught him with a flamethrower or something. He's gone to federal prison. And they showed him weeping. And I thought, this is a kid. I don't know what they're doing. People with money are manipulating them who could care less about them. Jesus loves them. We need to pray for them. We need to see a revival amongst these people and a revival across our nation. We don't want to see anybody wailing because they see. The king of kings and the Lord of lords coming through the heavens, but it will happen. It says, all of the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, it is true. Amen. Let it be. The first time the Lord speaks directly here in the book, verse eight, he says this. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending saith the Lord. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord is saying today. Saith the Lord. Now it tells us who he is, which is, which was, and which is to come. The Greek is, again, the being, the was, the coming which is, and was, and is to come, then the Almighty. It's interesting, it tells us this in Isaiah, and I'll read these if I can find them. I didn't have them in my computer notes. So, Um, chapter 41, verse 4 says, Who hath wrought, and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, Jehovah, the first and the last, I am he. Then it tells us this in chapter 44. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Jehovah, the King of Israel, notice, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, beside me there is no God. Once again, chapter 48, it says, Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel my called, I am he, I am the first, I am the last. When we come to the book of Revelation, the Lord speaking here in verse eight, not necessarily identified, but in twenty one six, he says there, and it's the Lord God, God the Father, it says, and he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. But then as we move down to verse 11 here, look at it quickly, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Verse 17 says, And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet, as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first, I am the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, literally became dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. It is clear that it's Jesus there calling himself the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. And then in 22... Verse 13, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, it goes on to say. And then it says, I, Jesus, have sent my spirit unto the churches. So as we go through here and we look at this, JW friends, you might have, this is so clearly in the Old Testament, I am the first and the last. You know, the Lord Jehovah says As we come here, we hear God calling himself the one who is and was and is to come, the first and the last, Alpha and Omega. Then we hear Jesus very specifically say, he is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and Omega, you know, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, speaking to us here, and he is the Almighty. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty. He And what he says to you is grace and peace. Deserve it? (laughs) I don't deserve it. Jerry really don't deserve it. I I don't don't deserve it. Grace and peace, do we deserve it? Can we earn it? Can't earn it. Can we ever be worthy of it? No. Chapter 5 is going to say there was nobody found worthy in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth. Can't be worthy of it. You have to receive it by faith. You have to be willing to step out of the boat onto the water, like Peter did. He's telling you, you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You're a sinner. But I know your whole life, beginning to end. My spirit is is, is alive today, speaking to your heart about sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And I, as your Savior, have died for you, washed you of my own. I paid the price. You need to come. If you haven't come to Jesus Christ today, maybe you're watching online, watching the live feed at home. You'll see this maybe on the app. If you haven't come to Jesus Christ, you need to forget about church. Forget about Calvary Chapel. We're not telling you to come to Calvary Chapel. You have to social distance if you come here anyhow. We're not telling you to come to Calvary Chapel. We're telling you to come to Jesus Christ. Wherever you are or if you're sitting here today and you've never come to Jesus Christ. Look, religion ain't doing it anymore, is it? Religion just isn't doing it anymore. It doesn't matter anymore am I I, uh, officially a member of a religious organization. Because you look out in the world, you look at the news, you look at what's going on. There ain't no religious organization that's going to spare you from that. But Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has all of this under his control. And we are his bride. And he loves us in spite of ourselves. He loves us with our imperfections. The Father will honor the work of the Son on the cross on your behalf. And if you've never come to Jesus Christ, that's we're going to ask you to do that, do that today. We'll, we'll, we'll pray, we'll worship and sing the last song together. But if you've never come to Christ as your Savior... Um, We're going to ask you to come down, just mention it to one of the pastors here. They'll they'll be glad to pray with you and give you a Bible, give you some literature. Uh, You can come down and stand six foot away and say, I'm uncomfortable. You can't touch me or hand me anything. They'll say fine and pray for you six foot apart. Whatever you're most comfortable with. We understand that. We understand that. But we're living in crazy days. We don't need to be afraid. There is a blessing for us, if we read and hear and keep the words of this book. And God doesn't want His children to live in fear. Fear and faith can't coexist in the same place. Use wisdom, yes. Use discretion, yes. It's heartbreaking for anybody who's lost a loved one to this. But we can't live our lives in fear. That doesn't send a message to anybody who watches us that we trust our Savior and our Lord. We need to be contagious, more contagious than COVID in the days we're living in. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray together. <laughs> read ahead. If we're still here. It really gets us some cool stuff as we're here. For the, the read ahead. Father, we, we thank you for these things as we look into them. And, Lord, you know us. Lord, you know how easily our mind wanders, Lord, and we've got media, and television, and radio, and tired of looking at all the insanity, Lord. Just, it wears on us, Lord. Let us, in these days, by your Spirit, learn how to behold that you're coming. How to set our mind, our affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And Lord, for the sake of our kids, and our grandkids, and our neighbors, and the unsaved world around us, Lord, give us a measure of courage, Lord, that even in the worst of times, you're still the Lord. You've still conquered death. That we can still walk with you, even through this valley of the shadow of death. And Let us, Lord, be able to share the blessed hope that we have with this unsafe world. Lord, we pray if any are watching, they're listening, and they've, Lord, they've never come, they've never made that decision, Lord, they could pray. Uh, Call the church, Lord, we could send them literature. Uh, Lord, we pray for those that are here, Lord, this morning, that have never come, that you minister to their hearts, Lord. This is all so far and so above everything we're seeing, every other form of news. This news is the good news. And we're so thankful for it, Lord. And you are a faithful witness. We're not afraid to believe what you say to us. So let us grow there, Lord. Strengthen us there. We trust you to do that, Lord. We believe we're praying according to your name. And Lord Jesus, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.